0: Jummy up this week, off-screen. A new crop of Ghostbusters answer the call. Mark Paul Gosselar has some precious cargo. Nicholas Winding Reffin unleashes the Neon Demon. The End of the World on a collision course with the Ice Age. There's a descent into hell in Baskin. Mads Mikkelsen meets some men and a chicken. It's a French love story in the summertime. And Key
1: Peel would like you to meet Keanu.
0: All those to come and more? Off-screen. This
1: is This is Off-Screen. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Ooh, welcome to Screen. I'm Van Connor. Case Allen. So we, before we start with the week's uh, cinematic offerings and healthy dose of film news, Box Office Top 10 et al., we should of course talk about the big news story mm. of the week. What was that? Well, that of course was none other than Pokemon Go. <laughs> yeah. That's been everywhere. It, it kind of took over <laughs> the world. It, it did, again. didn't it? It did. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened. I think it was like last Friday, all of a sudden, everything stopped on social networks and just got replaced by Pokemon yeah. Go we went back in time 15 20 years yeah this is the meme isn't it so we've got a tarzan film at the box office a clinton's running for office uh, blink 182 and <laughs> yeah. number 1 in the charts it's it's the late pokemon, 90s yeah that's it, it well, see, i think someone says it specifically it's a specific month in 2001 <laughs> so yeah <laughs> right so pokemon go of course is this is this big mm. pop culture phenomenon so It's emerged this past week now as far as i'm i'm not really i've not played it i don't really know what it is there, i've saved an article on my reading list to explain it to me later this because this is how <laughs> like like the 2 middle
0: middle-aged, Gentlemen, that we are. Yeah, funnily
1: yeah. enough, the first one we're reviewing is Keanu, so we kind of get to relate on some level. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, being kind of you know stuffy and middle aged, I don't know what Pokemon kind of. Okay, involved.
0: I I've read a little bit about it, it's, and as I was driving home from Durham, listening hmm. to radio too, that shows radio my 3? age. <laughs> they, they were talking about it. I yesterday. listened to
1: radio two as well. It's okay. It's all right. It's
0: okay. Steve Wright, me afternoon. It it was it was good. I, I a like Dermot's show, but anyway, it's a I like Dermot. Yeah. But yeah, so Pokemon Go it's a it's basically an augmented reality yeah. game you have for your iPhone, your Android, whatever. Um, it allows you to collect uh, Pokemon and fight them on on your phone, but it but looks in like, the real world. In the real yeah. world, so it looks like Pikachu is like at
1: the train station and exactly. things like that. So the funny yeah. thing about this game is over the course of the past week, because you actually go around physical locations to collect new Pokémon, mm. This has resulted in the discovery of a dead body in real life. Yes. It has resulted in the accidental turning of a Plymouth sex shop into a tourist attraction. True. And now it's going to be a big screen movie. The- Again. Yes. But, oh, oh, l- no, l-
0: lest we forget, we've had some Pokemon films.
1: We've had five animated, theatrically released Pokemon movies. In total, there have been 19.
0: Very many. Been Nineteen. I, there that. But I didn't know was that five many. Five of
1: them have been released theatrically. Um, we're now. This one though is going to be live action. Yeah. And is look is going to be brought to us by Legendary Pictures, mm, who have won over Warner Brothers and yeah. Sony, and basically there was a there was a
0: big old war. Big game yeah. war wasn't it? It's been a
1: busy week in the Pokemon Yeah, because you know brand brand you, recognition. You, I didn't know that Pokemon actually means pocket monster. It's an abbreviation of about, pocket yeah. monster. I didn't yes, know this.
0: Yeah. Did you know that uh, Keanu uh, in Hawaiian means? Um, is
1: a wine for Coolbury's. I did know that because I read it in an interview with Keanu Reeves once, but yeah. it is a brilliant segue into our first film of the week. So well done, Mr. Allen. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about a film you and I have been looking forward to this for some yeah. time because we're both big Key and Peel fans. That's true and some of our earliest bonding you and I has been over Keanu. We've been talking about um, the Valley Kilmers, William
0: Liam Neesons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Robert
1: Downey's Juniors. <laughs> but yeah, mostly the Valley's Kilmers. Yeah. So Keanu is their, not, not their big screen debut, they have appeared in, in films before, but this is their big screen debut as the double act yeah, that we know them from Comedy Central, where they obviously ran a sketch show for five seasons, largely dealing with what I would say is racially based humour. They themselves are both mixed race and they use this this to play both sides of the coin so to speak what you've now got is a movie that allows them to do exactly that in the movie uh peel's character who is uh, peel is the one who has hair key is the bald one that's how you tell them apart Uh, that's that's how it works so uh peel who's also co-written this movie plays clarence he is dumped just before the movie begins and we meet him upset devastated heartbroken and he, he doesn't know what to do with himself he's in pieces and then one day a small, adorable kitten shows up at his front door and he adopts him and names him, can you guess? Keanu. Keanu. (laughs) But all is not well for two weeks later... His house is ransacked and Keanu is taken. And the pair, in a way that could only happen in a movie made by Kean Peel, the pair find themselves having to infiltrate Gangland LA in order to recover their abducted kitten. In doing so, they have to pose as two Allentown gangbangers who are basically merciless hitmen, effectively. Essentially, Essentially yeah. Yeah. hitmen. Al- Allentown brothers. Allentown I mean, brothers. They're called yeah. something worse, we can't use that word. But they are given a crew to work with and they must embark on was effectively a drug spree, here's a clip.
0: So seriously, what's gonna happen now before we get on this job? It's time for us to all get to know each other a little bit better. We're gonna go in a circle, first of all, and everyone gonna say their name and then two things about yourself. For instance, my name is Shark Tank and uh, I ran hurdles in high school and I like to hold my gun like this. So that's me. Tectonic. I once shot two
1: dudes with one bullet. I went to an exclusive early screening of the Blair Witch Project. You did?
0: Yeah. I did not know that. See, before we even knew if it was real or not. Go on. I'm Bud. And I got into gang banging after I got stabbed by my mom. I'm going
1: to need two things,
0: huh? And my grandma. Well, you know, them family reunions get crazy sometimes, yeah. man. Thanks for sharing, bud.
1: <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes. I it think. is a good yeah. scene. Um, so, of course, when it comes, the whole gimmick to that to that clip, the whole gag is that they are really stuffy, you know, sort of suburban, they're, they're suburbanites, really, yeah. and they have to conform to against the, against their own will. They have to conform to the stereotypes of black gangster culture, yeah. despite the fact that neither of them are in any way <laughs> equipped for it, even psychologically. Yeah, there's there's a bit where. Um...
0: Where I think it's it's Kigamaki says but the other one sounds like John Ritter.
1: Every day, every day, and he <laughs> says you sound like Richard Pryor doing, <laughs> doing <an> impression <laughs> of a white guy. <laughs> now, this is the thing: when it comes to uh, topical racial humor, there really isn't uh, anyone better than Key and Peel for, mm. for that. They do it superbly, and it's been that's why the five seasons of Key and Peel are as brilliant as they are because they always got it on the nose. Even when they decided to target things like aspects like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who will come up later in this show. It was done with such brilliant wit and sharpness that it always landed every time. So in in terms of the short form sort of sketch area of comedy, they are unmatched, they are unrivaled. When it comes to doing something of a longer form, like a feature film, what you find is a lack of focus. And that's not to say the film isn't good. The film is, is good, it's very enjoyable. But it does kind of go a little bit all over the shop. There's long periods of time in this film where you forget the central cat plot because you're so ingrained into the weird little minutiae the, yeah, the are the trying to like, infiltrate yeah. the gang, and
0: and you forget that that's the reason why the like the end goal is to get the cat back. There is a point when you see the cat you're like,
1: oh yeah, that's why we're here. Yes, I not saying so there's it. not a lot of the cat because no. the cat is in it a lot, and the cat is really exactly. cute. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they are as fun to watch on the big screen as they are on the small. But I do think where the film excels is in its satirical edge, in sending up the idea of playing to stereotypes, in sending up gangster culture as well. Because the film brilliantly parodies everything from boy. In the hood to menace to society. Yeah, I mean, at one point, I think it's revealed that Key uh, Peel sits on his couch beneath a New Jack City poster every day.
0: Yeah, in fact, the cat is renamed New Jack at one point. Yes, he as is. Well. Yeah. He is as well.
1: <laughs> it is really funny. And if you know your references, if you know your clips, and you know your, your gangster movies, you know your your sort of your, your South Central themed kind of cinema, yeah, then absolutely. there's a lot to enjoy in this. And in that regard, um, you've got the director, who's uh, Peter Atencio, who actually worked on Key & Peele, the series. Yeah, he worked on the show. And he has done film stuff before. I think this is the, his big his big breakout one. He knows what they're going for and he has done this almost visually satirical action movie style. Mm. And it works. He's also got Steve Jablonski who's done an, a requisite, almost yes. Michael Bay-like action movie soundtrack. Yeah. And it's brilliant and it delivers and it works. However, it is a bit scattershot. It, it's, I don't think it's going to necessarily win over people who would already Key and Peele fans, which no. is a shame because I think they've got... I, I think it's them. a good start for them working mm. in films together. I think they'll, do, they'll I like. do
0: different genres like they do in the show. I think so, I think so that, as well. I'd that like, like to really see more from Jumping film. off point.
1: Yeah. I think you and I are both on the same page. We <clears> want to see them every two years in a film together... That's yeah. true. And if we can get uh, Will Forte back for every film exactly, as well. Exactly, because he cameos better. in here as,
0: who's the, uh, the drug dealer's I've forgotten his name. He, he lives, like, next he door. He lives next door, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, so before we cut to the jump, then let's do a quick plug for the <clears throat> podcast edition, uh, extended version of this show. We've got four films this week that we can't fit into the radio edits. This is a busy week. Well, also because I'm squeezing Neon Demon in, because we didn't get to do that last week. And I think it merits conversation. that not going to be in the main show. No, no. I think it merits conversation. And also for some of the words... We'll definitely ha- talk about it. For some of the words I have to use to describe it, we need to be not off sensitive. Like fantastic. Exactly. Yes. Like fantastic. So go to uh, onscreenfilm.com. Go to iTunes. Go to ACAST. Go to Deezer. SoundCloud. Uh, tune in. We're on there. It's just download. And there's a, there's loads more after the end credits every week. With the latest film news and reviews... This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. Bit of JP there. So, uh, do you want to do a bit of film news before we do the top ten? Uh, yeah, why not? In. What have you got for me? Well, there's a, a very strange biopic uh, coming up, courtesy of Working Title. And this this sounds bizarre. They are pitching this as The Devil, me- the devil Wears Prada meets Trainwreck. This is going to be Oh, I know what this is. Do you know what this is. Yeah. This is going to be an adaptation of the novel In My Shoes well not novel but the yeah. book In My Shoes which is the biography of uh, the founder of Jimmy Choo Shoes and specifically how she was fired as the editor of Vogue went on to form Jimmy Choo and then had to fight venture capitalists to retain control of her company but she's played, she's portrayed in certain media circles as kind of a madcap, almost Amy Schumer-like character anyway so you think, okay this could kind of work I could see there being some humour in there you know, yeah. who, who would you cast in that? Oh, so having physically seen where where was she from, the, the lady? Because I'm not I'm not too familiar. I believe with... she's American. I believe she's American. But having having physically seen her, I want to say Molly Parker. But uh... <laughs> right, <laughs> she looks like Molly that could Parker. Be yeah. She I really like does. Parker. Also, she's done... Has Molly Parker done many big movies recently, or not for a few years? Not for a few no. years. I remember she did the TV series version of uh, The Firm. You know, the to the John Grisham Tom yes. Cruise one. They, yeah. they did they did a sequel series to that. I don't that know. Really? Yeah. What was it called? The The Firma? No, it was just called The Firma, and it starred Josh Lucas. Yeah, so right. it, was, it was pretty good. I liked it. But uh, right, so let's uh, let's crack on with the box office top ten for the week. Then see what's uh, keeping the multiplex alive for now. Number ten, Me Before V. which I like. It's on its way out now. It's fair to say it will be there next week. Yeah, it's had it's
0: quite a good run, six weeks though. Well, not six that we, we
1: are getting we are getting to summer, the height of summer movies now. We've got a lot of big things coming out in in rapid fire succession. Let's be honest, we know what number one next week's going to be. So I <laughs> know that everything's going to shunt one um, space. Is down it the table. Uh, Precious Cargo? It is clearly going to be Precious Cargo Probably because fine. the world has been crying out for a Mark Paul Gosselaar action movie. Um, they have. They really have. Clearly, <laughs> clearly it's a thing, yeah. The Franklin and Bash fans have just been petitioning the studios. Yeah. Um, but I like it, and I like the performances, and I like the. I think the story is actually quite sweet. It's, it's a lot funnier than I would have expected. And it's not quite the grand weepy that it's marketed as being. There are some weepy no, really. moments in it. But yeah. it's not quite... It's marketed as basically being The Notebook, isn't it? Number nine. This should be fun. Neon Demon, new entry. Well, I think we'll save save the bulk of it for the podcast extras so that we can talk about it in more detail. But if I just say it's not very good, but it looks pretty, that's a very polite version of it. It's pretty succinct, my, yeah. That's very polite, a very polite and succinct way of, of, of expressing myself. I have more thoughts. Um, that I would like to go into in, in more detail, um, some more analysis of this particular tome. Um, however, I, I think we'll, we'll save them for a more appropriate venue, like one in which I can curse. Number eight. The Conjuring 2, the Enfield case. This slipped down the charts way faster than I thought it would. It's not have the legs that the first one has. I've, I've I've heard good things. You, you did enjoy it. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. it. I, I think it's a worthy sequel, but I don't think it's as good. No. Um, having said that, like you say, the first one had legs. The first one
0: stuck it around really the top did. ten for months. Well, the first one's now kicked off of this franchise because there's going to be a third one coming. There's going to be a third potentially one coming.
1: James Wanless, potentially. But yeah. we have got we've got a third conjuring. We've got a second Annabelle as well. Oh yeah, that's something. Oh, and we've got the the, the nun. And the we've nun got the nun from, from this. Yeah. So we're not short of Conjurings anytime soon. We're gonna we're gonna see a bit more conjuring, a re if you will. Terrible, <laughs> <laughs> terrible. That's what this should have been called, man. The re <laughs> Number seven. <laughs> Independence Day, Resuscitation. Well, I mean, it should be resuscitated because it's dead on arrival as far as I'm concerned. But uh, it is just an incredibly droll and uninteresting film. I did not enjoy a single solitary minute of it. Why I- was Judd Hirsch... In a weird subplot with kids on a bus know. why i don't know it's like some some committee at fox just said you know what we need for the sequel don't you guys we need judd in a bus with some kids that's what the audience is crying out for but no forget will forget will we don't it, need will we need judd in sounds a bus like hirsch with himself to save that a big cigar on his boat no no you'll be dead if it weren't for my david that's my judd hirsch Believe that me. was on point. It's more well fun. Done. That's more fun than the film. I yeah. promise you. Number six,
0: Sultan, which I believe is uh, about the Sultan from uh, from Disney's Aladdin.
1: Clearly, clearly it yeah. is. Yeah, who I've not you, seen it. Who would you get to play him in a live action film? That would interest. Uh, Cavan Wallace. Why is that your answer for every Cavon Wallace, man. I she, just, I
0: think, I think the girls got range.
1: She was not very good in Annie. That's all I'm going to say. She on the was matter. great in Beast of No Nation. Not okay.
0: Beast of No Nation. I got it wrong. No. Oh, did you say it What's wrong? It, I, I I mixed up my my beast film. Did you what, was, beast?
1: what was the thing? Uh, not fantastic beast. Where to find them? Presumably. But, uh, <laughs> I've forgotten as well. Now. The film she got nominated for. I don't know, but you realise we are we are basically killing time because neither of us wants to admit this is a Bollywood film and we haven't seen it. <laughs> Should we do a review? Let's do a review. Should we talk about Summertime, which is a French film we have seen? Yes. Okay, so Summertime, which is the latest from uh, Catherine Corsini, who's the director? Did you ever see Leaving with Kristen Scott Thomas?
0: No, I did not uh,
1: about three or four years ago. It was a really good little romantic drama. um she's directed and written and uh, directed this as well now. Uh, it's called uh, La Belle Saison. Um, in its native tongue, and I'm not a native French speaker, so I apologise if I've offended anyone with my awful pronunciation. <laughs> um, and this is... Uh, okay, before we get into what it is, I'll just do the plot. So, you've got uh, Delphine, who is a young uh, French girl. She's the daughter of a farmer, lives in a very isolated rural community, and she is also a closeted gay... Well, not closeted, but discreet gay girl. She's having a relationship with uh, one of the local uh, one of the, the local girls, who mm. breaks her heart when it's revealed she's accepted a marriage proposal and will be leaving to go and pursue a life in the big city, and Delphine doesn't quite know what to do with herself. So, flash forward a few months, she has relocated to Paris to pursue her life there, move on with her studies, etc. She falls in with a uh, women's rights group because this—this, this, by the way, is set in the 1970s. Okay, so in 1971, uh, she falls in with a uh, a women's women's liberation group, where she meets a sort of kindred spirit in the ethereal. Carol. So yes, this is a period piece lesbian drama with a chick named Carol. Yeah, okay. exactly. So you know. So do we get a French version of Cape Cape Blanchet. Well, Which actually, Blanche? you, you get Cecile de France. So there are some parallels there. There are some parallels we made. She is a striking blonde as well. So you know, <laughs> pick your poison. Also, the, uh, the the central lead is a young brunette as well, young pretty brunette. So there really are some parallels we made with Carol here. So this will always been known as the French <clears throat> Carol. The French Carol. French Carol. Le Carol. Yes. <laughs> This is in fact to look Carol, we lack Carol. Sure. Uh, so the pair, despite the fact that Carol is uh, in a relationship, lives with her uh, her boyfriend uh, Manuel, has a relatively settled domestic life. The pair soon discover a kindred spirit in one another, embark on an affair. However, Delphine's father takes ill, and and she has to return to the homeland to look after the family farm, to take her place there. And Carol follows along. And because she's followed along, it it starts out as a sort of nice getaway for the pair of them from, you know, life in the busy city and out from under Manuel's thumb, etc. And they start to enjoy the freedom, but before long, it brings up questions about whether or not they can really ever be together in the light of day, so to speak. And well, first of all, I mean it's a film that's very much built on chemistry. So a, it's a you know, dine the wall romantic drama. How and it does actually make good on both of those concepts, both the romance and the drama. It delivers them both in spades. Um the, uh, the character of Delphine is played by the French rock singer. Now I'm gonna pronounce this really badly, so I apologize. <laughs> Isia he he- heigelin I think. Isia he heigelin Um I I, I I don't know that person's work, okay. Unfortunately, and she is terrific in it. She's not—I I would say she's got the meat of the uh, the meat of the performances. Mm. I would say here because it's it's a sort of a uh, not a naivete, but it's a sort of begrudging uh, begrudging emergence into the world sort of performance. She doesn't really. She they sort of invert roles as it goes on. She's the initiator, but then the detractor later on, and vice versa for Carol. As far as Carol goes, though, Cécile de France, I think, gets the better part because she gets to play this, this grand, ethereal, lovable and sort of very elegant, sort of, yet at the same time attainable romantic object. But she does it in such a way that, that brings actual heart to it. And the pair share real chemistry. There is real chemistry between them. And it's it's, it's chemistry that you, you can't help but invest in and it's kind of infectious. And you, you really go along with it. And you really, really buy into it. Um... As far as the direction goes, uh, what Corsini's managed to do here is she's given it a very fluid style, but at the same time, not a style that in any way detracts from the the sort of the verite, the believability Mm -hmm. of it. The verisimilitude, if you were. And... um, on top, top of that right. as well, you've got uh, Jean Laporie, who is the cinematographer. Beautiful work here. Golden hues, lots of natural light. Great to look at. Honestly, you, you will genuinely love this film. Mm. Beautiful to look at. And then, of course, this fantastic score by uh, Gregory Hetzel. And I really need to learn to pronounce French names better. I apologize. Give me an Arabic name. I can I can spit it out like Just that. Just like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a rapid fire, but I want to test you out later. Please, please do. I'll be a podcast extra. But, uh, bring them all together, and what you've got is a really solid, really well well rounded, well developed, and well put together romantic drama. One that you can't help but really feel for. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen. And we're back, Harold Faltermeyer, Top Gun. What's not to love? So uh, we have got another Ice Age film to talk about. Case. Okay, so, so this is the twelfth. Just funnily enough, uh, yesterday I discovered I was talking, I was hanging with Alan between screenings. Alan Frank, and he cannot remember which number Ice Age he'd just seen it, and he kept <laughs> taking focus. Oh yes, we've just come from Ice Age three, and I kept going, no, no, it's, That's it's five, number five. It's five. And then the next phone call says, I've just come from Ice Age two. No, no, five five. is. I know it's so easy. It's just going back in time. It's so easy to get all of these ice ages jumbled up because there's so many of them now. We're now on the fifth. It is collision course. And okay so this time around we've moved on from the pirates last time around because nobody needs to be reminded about that. That was awful. Mm. And uh, what we have this time is we have an opening sequence that starts off and it's two minutes long. You might have seen a shortened version as the teaser trailer with Scrats and the alien ship. Right. And in the space of two minutes it parodies uh, Cosmic uh, a space-time odyssey, whatever the Neil deGrasse series was, uh, it parodies Third Rock from the Sun, it parodies 2001 A Space Odyssey, it parodies Red Dwarf, it parodies Star Trek For The Voyage Home, all in the space of two minutes. And just when you think you can't take any more, then we get back to the Ice Age characters, and it turns out there is a meteor that's going to hit the Earth and kill us all. And before you can say... We drill. ...Buck, who's the weasel, played by uh, Simon Pegg from... Was it the third one, the Dawn of the Dinosaurs one? Uh, yes, it yeah, is. He yeah, He has returned... Turned and assembled a crew from the Ice Age characters to help him try and deflect the meteor from the Earth so that he can save us all from being wiped out and life can continue on the planet. This is literally Armageddon for kids in... It even uses the Armageddon theme tune at one point. It has them slow walking towards camera with Trevor Rabin's Armageddon theme song over it. Is there a
0: weasel version of Bill Bob Thornton saying we get the world's best drillers and we drill?
1: No, 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 sadly not. Despite, despite us using that, they That's don't. A shame. Here's a clip. Hello? Hello? Ah! 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 Oh, hello, mammals! Hi, Buck! <laughs> Hi! <hello. laughs> Bye, Buck! Um,
0: a little help. Oh, oh, right on the spleen. Utterly useless, but totally hurts.
1: Wait, this half a snack is a dinosaur whisper and expert salsa dancer. Ice Age is back, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, it's just as much fun as you remember it. I really like the first two Ice
0: Ages. I don't know what's really.
1: I really like the first one because it was very heartfelt, very very warm, moving film about nature versus nurture. Really, the third one's got some good points as well, but yeah, it's just. And then you have that fourth one, which was just so awful. Peter Dinklage. That Peter Dinklage one, yeah. The Pirates one. Ugh. And now you've got this, which is better than the last one, but that's not saying much. However, it is still very, very scattershot. Very, very... Let's just fling what we can in there. I mean, there are characters introduced in the third act of this movie purely for takeoff with, to, 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 to up mm. the population of the Ice Age universe. So you get a new character voiced by Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family. You've got... Uh, oh, a new character who's in the whole film who's played by Adam Devine, who is basically reprising his character from Modern Family... Here as a mammoth, and then you've got it's a popular um, show, and oh yeah, popular yeah. show. And then you've got uh, what do you call it? Uh, Jesse J turning up as oh, this God, awful, I'm awful, awful oh, yeah. faux English character, and yeah, checked out. Yeah. Um, Kids are gonna, you know, enjoy it as they always have the Ice Age because it's disposable, 3D enhanced, animated, you know, adventurous fun. But any adults by this point are going to have mentally checked out. And the problem with the film is, frankly, it does not seem to gauge its audience very well. There are jokes in there about Tinder. There are jokes in there about Armageddon. There are, you know, jokes in there about. Literally, Neil deGrasse Tyson turns up as a weasel version of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Enough already. This has really run out of steam. This is starting to feel like He's a He's making so now. many cameos recently. He is. If you thought the Zoolander one was forced, I promise you he has got nothing on this. Shall we, uh, we finish the top ten? why not number five central intelligence this has slipped down I'm surprised by this I am but you know there's a lot coming there's a lot to come so perfectly and yes the central intelligence is so fun have you had the pleasure yet
0: I've not had a pleasure I'm hoping to have a bit of a movie day um, uh, the weekend yeah
1: I, I, I really like central intelligence I really bought into it I, I enjoyed it, it's fun factor above all else because it was an action comedy that did deliver action did deliver comedy hmm. gave the rock some I, and Kevin Hart arguably something different to do yeah the kind I, of subvert the Roles yeah, by playing Kevin Hart as the straight man for a change, and The Rock as the comedic one. And it did play on the whole Rock image, and I really liked that about it. I thought it was quite cleverly done. It incorporated the fandom into its narrative, and I thought that was a really smart move. Number four. Abfab the movie. Right, I did get to see this. Uh It's okay. not as bad as you would think. It's not any good. What? Is it just your standard...
0: TV to film adaptation where pretty something much. happens to get a bit more money they have to go abroad for pretty some much reason. So this is the one yeah.
1: they've killed, they accidentally killed Kate Moss yeah. and they become fugitives and then for some reason that doesn't seem to make a whole heap of sense one of them is going to go and get married Oh, well, there's always a wedding in Yeah, they've got to have a sugar daddy, and it's a whole. Oh, no, it's a sugar mama, so Patsy has to pretend to be a man, and yes, a whole weird thing. Um, It's funny when the central two characters are not on screen. There are some great lines in there. There (laughs) is a brilliant line about what would happen if uh, Kate Moss ever had a vigil on the Thames. But other than that, meh. Number three. Now you don't, because I'm <laughs> going to call it, because it's a much better title. It is a better title. And having been a big fan of the first movie, I would rather not have when it was the second one, because mm. it's not a patch on the first. It's not an awful film. It is just far more slapdash, far more... Let's just yeah. You know, first of all, we have to come up with a sequel for the sake of coming up with a sequel. We have to spend the first act explaining why there's yeah. a sequel. The second act is going to be some ridiculous heist, and the third act here's the sequel you wanted. The first one seems to kind of wrap up nicely. It did. It, it was self-contained. Be it's, I, I, I worry that this is what we're going to have when Pacific Rim finally gets around to having a sequel. Oh, I hope not. I really hope not. I mean, the cast are okay, but Daniel Radcliffe is just a non-villain, and yeah, he's kind of a waste of time. Number two. Hey! Not Disney's Tarzan, <laughs> not Disney's Tarzan. <laughs> yeah, we need the we need the Phil Collins clip in there, really. We do, we? yeah. I uh, I really liked the Legend of Tarzan. I seem to be you, a minority you like it more than a lot of people. I do. I seem yeah. to be. A I, it seems to have offended people, mm. like really offended them, and I don't get it. I think it's a lot of the slave trade
0: aspects of.
1: Is it though? I think people seem to people have an issue. Said, that's yeah. Boring. Well, that as well, but yeah. Which I don't get. I thought it was a we good... We live in a PC world. Say, well. I mean, it was a good old-school, romping, adventurous film. You see, the thing is, yeah. I don't register things like PC in films because no. we watch so many old films that, you know, you, you don't think of it in those contexts either. And And it's, it's such an old character that it's kind of let go. Number one. <laughs>
0: Do you know what that song is called and who does it? It's Bounce by like System, System of a, of a Down, down. Yeah. yeah. But of course, for uh. our
1: purposes, it is the button we will now forever use for the secret life of pets, because it's the <laughs> bit from the trailer that everyone kept talking about. Yeah. Um, God, when I it, saw it in the trailer, it's, just like... oh, it's such a good bit in the trailer. The film is obscenely funny. Um, It has just the perfect comedic cast It's that kind of cast that you and I love, Case Mm. Which is the the kind of uh, US cable network comedy stars Yeah, because you've got Louis You've got Eric Stone Street. Arguably, it is a little bit too derivative Of the very first Toy Story movie But frankly, you'll be laughing so much You won't (laughs) care With the latest film news and reviews This is Offscreen The on-screen radio show and we're back and dancing. So, you know what time it is, don't you, Case? It's uh, it, it's time to unleash this week's big, massive blockbuster. Who are you going to call? <laughs> You just get deflated the second you hear that,
0: don't you? Yeah, like Marshmallow Man. You
1: you actually saw this like 24 hours before me as well. So I, I ha- did. I got you to Very tell me rarely. what it was like uh, before I saw it, which was interesting. Yeah,
0: I I text you maybe about an hour yeah. afterwards.
1: Yeah. <laughs> when you'd had time to stew. I, I said it was okay and I did like it. Okay. so but, do, yeah. I'm kind some, of on the some same Some kind part. of caveats. I'm kind of yeah. on the same page. So, okay. So this has arrived. It is one of the most controversial movies of all time, it seems. Why? Be- because <laughs> it stars girls... Um, right. Yeah, because that's apparently enough to, to condemn it as the worst thing to ever happen. Yeah, cinema. Yeah, enough
0: to do with it being a uh, fast... Thrash- Kind of cash
1: grab, yeah. yeah. N- nothing to do with nothing that. With that you can yeah. take issue with, but apparently, no. It's the fact yeah. that it's got girls in. Um, so what you've got here is a sort of Force Awakens style rehash of the original Ghostbusters. You know, the Force Awakens rehashed New Hope. This is kind of rehashing the original Ghostbusters, um, only this is doing it less successfully. <clears throat> what you have are uh, a pair of estranged best friends, both physicists. You've got Erin Gilbert, played by Kristen Wigg, You've got Abby Yates, played by Melissa McCarthy. They both come together over a misunderstanding relating to a book they had published years earlier. And wouldn't you know it Their reunion after many years Coincides with the eruption of ghosts Into New York City A New York City which incidentally Never had Ghostbusters So those first two films never happened They team up They form the Ghostbusters Along with another scientist Called Julian Holtzman Who's played by uh, Kate Kate McKinnon Kate McKinnon Whose name you're going to hear a lot of In the next few months I guarantee it And Leslie Jones Who is a rough around the edges New York City subway worker Named Patty Who has access to a because that's what you do.
0: That's her role But she that, That's her role. She contributes
1: yep. the car. She's the one with the car. That, that's who she's. she is. If you're wondering who she is in your circle friend, she's that one that has the car. And, of course, they are the Ghostbusters and they must take on a mysterious madman held bent on unleashing and increasing the prominence of extra-dimensional, spectral, supernatural entities throughout the city for reasons unknown. Here's a clip. <laughs> A car and you get a car and you get a car. <laughs> uh, you didn't disclose that the vehicle was going to be a hearse. I'm sorry. My uncle owns a funeral home, not an enterprise rent a car. Hope you checked to see there wasn't a body in the back. <laughs> uh, I don't really know. You didn't check? I mean, I was in a hurry. I, I checked to see if we had gas.
0: That was more important. So there is a body. Let Holmes check. She likes that type of stuff. Yeah, I can think
1: of seven good uses of a cadaver today. No. Dr. Frankenstein, we got to turn in the body if there's one in there. Don't do that. Julian Holtzman there, who is my favourite of the new band. Uh, yeah, too. me too, I'm I'm too. too, yeah. Here's the thing. There are two casts to this. On the one hand, you have a primary cast. Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, who have reunited with you know the director of Bridesmaids for this. Um, they, they, you know, they've got a decent enough interplay. Of the four core girls, I would argue that even Leslie Jones' character, Patty, starts off as quite annoying, but does eventually settle into something more tolerable later on. Yeah, I'll agree. From, from the trailer, mm-hmm. with where she's slapping Melissa McCarthy... <laughs> Patty para- yeah, yeah,
0: that I was turned off. Yeah. And, and I have... Be liked him in the past, but yeah, she did grow on me towards
1: the end. Yeah, I, 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 mostly know. I only, I only know her from uh, her brief appearance in Trainwreck when she's on the subway. Weird, watch... she's on the subway. I Just realised. Oh my god, she's on the subway in Trainwreck as the passenger. Here she's never mind. Weird. Um, she's in uh, the Chris Rock film uh, top five as well.
0: Oh yes, yeah, she's of good course. About, She's I, very good I about. Forgotten about that one.
1: Yeah. Right, so you've got the primary cast, and they're all great, and yeah, they're perfectly fine. I do think Kate McKinnon walks away with all the best moments and all the best scenes, and also the all round best character that's just going to wind up being a cosplay fixture for a couple of years to come now because she's got the whole steampunk aesthetic and yeah. also it's quite a witty vibrant hair and yeah stuff. big yeah. kind of witty vibrant steampunky character but then you've got the secondary cast who of course are all the returning cast members from the original film all of whom are playing different characters so it, it, it kind of begs the, the the immediate question of why are you here what's the function of it this is not tied in continuity wise but what's the need to be here your appearances are tied only to uh to to the fans who are the original fans that's of, it
0: it's to serve people that aren't going to well but are going to complain but to try and like sedate them a little bit exactly yeah. and you start
1: thinking yes but this isn't for the fans of the original and yet the, the the plot is the same as the original film. it's confused there are all these jokes that haul, call back to the original film there are all these little references yeah. to the original there's a
0: post-credit scene that exactly. yeah we're not going to
1: spoil but no.
0: yeah that harkens back to it
1: so what you have is the robocop trap The Robocop Trap, whereby this is not for you original fans, this is for a new generation, but here are all these jokes that the newcomers aren't going to get, that are only going to appeal to you people who this movie isn't for. And you start thinking, then why put them there? And that's the problem because there are so many repeated moments in this film. There are so many little bits that keep coming back, like choose your destroyer and uh, yeah. the, the, the 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 meddling te- you know city hall guy and uh, yeah mayor and, the, yeah. the mayor and then and the Dan Aykroyd cameo is borderline groan inducing. I mean yeah. the cameos in the film are awful, but some that are so better than there. others. Yeah. I, I would argue that Bill Murray has. The best one. Oh no i think annie potts has the best cameo because she's essentially
0: did what she did for first uh, two films and that
1: and that and most people watching the film even the ones who knew the original Ghostbusters, didn't realize that was annie potts because yeah. no one had seen her in three decades yeah so fair enough Um, <laughs> she's I'm, not changed much. She's, she's not changed that yeah. much she's just older and wears slightly cartoonier glasses now yeah. so here's the thing it does bring the funny when it needs to and you you can't say it's an unfunny film. I, I I defy anyone to say that they don't laugh. It is a funny film. It brings the laughs when it needs to. Um, the the <clears throat> the new cast, the girl Ghostbusters, the new cast, they do have the interplay down. I mean, I think in an originally constructed narrative, something that wasn't so beholden to yeah, the original Ghostbusters, they, they would shine. They they would have time. Shan, I would like. I mean, I actually do want this to get a sequel. I do. I would really love it if this got a sequel. And they got to do something different and do something on their own because I like the characters and I want to see them rounded out.
0: It's a little bit like the Turtles in a way.
1: Yes. I feel like we're back in that scenario. I feel like we're back where we were with Independence Day Resurgence where you've just gone through the motions because quite clearly you want to get to the sequel so that you can justify doing the things you really wanted to do in the first place. It's Predators all over again. It is, absolutely. Yeah, so we had this with Predators. We had it with... uh, We we get it with them and just think... Can we just have one of these reboots that skips the, the, the repetition phase and just gets to the right, now, here's the bit we want to do. And in fact, the third act of the film, when we actually get to see what a 21st century busting team with, you know... Yeah, the big yeah, New York with, set with, climax. Yeah, yeah, big action sequences and modern CGI, all of which, by the way, looks great because the cinematography by uh, Robert Yeopens <laughs> One of my friends is Rob <laughs> cinematographer. He's a location manager and you've got Robert Yeoman yep. who's a cinematographer. So, yes... Uh, Robert Yeomans did not work on The Iron Lady. My friend Rob Yeomans did. Robert Yeomans worked on Ghostbusters. There yeah. we are. Uh, That's inc- how you distinct the two. Incidentally, the location managing was the best part of The Iron Lady. <laughs> True story. Oh, well,
0: anyway.
1: <laughs> she's a uh, new, new Prime Minister, isn't she, today? Well, yeah. We have, we've got a whole new Iron Lady movie to come in a few years. The tonight. Iron Lady 2. Iron Lady 2. Oh, May to September. Love it. Anyway. So, so you introduce a love story regardless so uh, the cinematography by Rob Yeomans quite good although it does harken back a little bit to the 2002 Scooby Doo movie although it's crisp it's clean it's colourful I quite like it the finale action sequence the big New York battle scene I know you and I both enjoyed hmm. is a lot of fun I really liked it, it is, and I yeah. like the gadgets and, and the idea of, of ghost of ghostbusting arsenal you know ghost, yeah. the ghostbusters arsenal is done really really mm. well and that kind of stuff you're like yes this is the movie you should have done from the get-go stop trying to to remake the original film and or you know if you really feel the need then at least go the full force awakens thing and make it the sort of reboot call as it were the, the sequel that has to rehash it yeah. don't just rehash it <clears throat> for, the, for sake the sake of, of it. doing it
0: yeah uh, the editing was my least favorite. Part. Yes,
1: there is some really
0: well, the editing of the Ozzy Osbourne oh. cameo. What was that all about? All right, go with, let's go with the edit first. Let's do the edit first. It's, it's like a four-year-old was given some left-handed <laughs> scissors. Right. Do, you, do you know the like yellow and green ones? And
1: yeah, yeah. Case in point, know the, uh, the, that, the the quote like the clip that we actually use, which is uh, Patty bringing them the hearse. Yeah, the scene that precedes that literally ends with Patty saying, "Oh, I can get us a car." Smash cut two that clip we color. played in which she rolls up and you like what, the, what, is there supposed to be a scene there what yeah I mean this comes with the news that we're apparently getting multiple sequels and an extended cut of the film on DVD and you think uh, okay yes apparently there's 20 minutes worth of material lopped out of the film believe me it shows because there are a lot of very strange jumps here and there throughout the film yeah, you that think that was loads it feels like they were rushing to it's meet a deadline it's very disjointed feel,
0: yeah, it, that's how I felt feels a, a
1: bit Returns doesn't it
0: A little bit, yeah,
1: but not just need a CGI rock. Yeah, nothing quite as bad as a two thousand two CGI rock. No, two thousand one CGI rock, wasn't it? No, (laughs) no. (laughs) It's one of my favourite no's Yeah, Uh, but yes, the uh, the Aussie cameo. Please, please describe the joy of this to me, case. Okay, so you you know that Ozzy's been through some strife. Of oh, late, in, in in recent months, yeah. yes. he's, he's had
0: uh, quite a turbulent personal, <laughs> yes. personal crisis. So <laughs> him and Sharon have have split up, and there's, there's a bit where they go to a rock gig, yeah, some nondescript heavy metal band is playing, and they to
1: go find some. Oh, what Demon do you call it, like character. Beast of Burden or something? The band, yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> oh, but because they're, because *The Ghostbusters* takes place in a in a New York City where we have a rock concert at four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, it's, it's, a it's like, a matinee, like a matinee, like a matinee. headlined by Ozzy Osbourne because that's what. Well, he has he's, to do he's, at, he's got to pay like, the alimony bills now, hasn't he? Yeah, and then yeah. he turns up with no knowledge
0: that he's getting divorced. So yeah, that's that's essentially what it is. there there's a line where yeah, Ozzy shows up for like. Point 0.2 of a second mm. and is like Sharon I'm on the drugs again or something no like, no he says I'm having a flashback he says I'm having
1: it? a flashback and you you can't help but take that as a sort of meta commentary that the whole film is being regurgitated from the original mm. and you think w- w- what a weird little thing to put in your own movie and that's
0: that's the a part of the nostalgia and all this backlash from the original fans and stuff and i wasn't one because i've ne- I, I i do like Ghostbusters. i saw it as a kid i don't even think it's the best uh 80s bill murray comedy so um, as a
1: six-year-old i went to the opening day of ghostbusters 2 at the uci cinema here in sheffield really
0: yeah i would say this is better than ghostbusters 2 I'll say that but
1: um... I'll be honest I didn't enjoy it as much
0: Ghostbusters
1: <laughs> 2 I missed the Bobby Brown man and the, and the Nintendo oh, Nintendo song. control pad uh, Statue of Liberty do, do, do. Yeah. but uh, here's the thing right. so it's not unenjoyable there is funny there, is, there are some great funny moments in it the characters do work and there, are, there is some, some great spectacle to it all I do think the opening sequence with Zach Woods from Silicon Valley is one of the year's best opening sequences and also has some absolutely fantastic gags There's a a gag about P.T. Barnum, which had me absolutely rolling around in hysteria. Um, Having said that, it is a regurgitation of the first movie. If you're one of those people that endlessly whined about The Force Awakens being too similar to the first Star Wars, definitely don't see this movie. Um, If you're the kind of person who is going to just be bizarrely objective to the idea of The Girl Gospers to begin with then quite obviously this film Mm. isn't for you. There there were some jokes within the film that target those people and I found that really sloppy and lazy. But yeah on the whole I I found it a decent enough time. It's a three star film. That's the problem. It's a three star film.
0: I I might have said 2.5 to you. Mm. Depends on my mood really. I I think it's
1: a three star film. The problem is that most Paul Faye comedies for me have always been four and a half star (laughs) films and that to me is a bit of a problem it says something that when given the raw materials to make something truly groundbreaking what we are left with out of you know the first ever female driven tentpole blockbuster arguably the first one really i'm sure there's no others i'm uh, cut for an island <laughs> In case nobody ever wants to remember Cutthroat Island,
0: <laughs> Gina Davis doesn't want to remember. It says something
1: though that after after this, you know, Bechtel test approved blockbuster, mm. that what we've got is a regurgitation of a thirty year old film that most of its fans would rather it didn't acknowledge, and that's a shame. Either way, it is not film of the week, and that is a crying shame to be honest. Um, I think, to be honest, I think film of the week. I'm going to give to Summertime. I, I really liked Summertime. But, uh, you know, we've got some interesting stuff for uh, some stuff next week. Oh, yeah, what, what do we have? Some, well, oh, brace yourself, because next week's going to get uh, a little funky. First and foremost next week, we've got Mr. Roald Dahl in cinemas. We have the big, friendly giant, ladies and gentlemen. He is back. How long has it been since the animated one? Oh,
0: the David Jason one. The David
1: Jason one? 25 25- 30 it's years maybe it. It's on Amazon Prime now I it watched is, it yeah. It's you know, it's still surprisingly I saw it in Sainsbury's
0: bit. on DVD now so we're obviously making a big push for <laughs> anything related to that to, to be sold now uh,
1: We've got uh, Chevalier as well which is the, uh, ga- just gang- watched the gangland about. bro I, movie I couldn't I can't tell you what it was about I couldn't tell you no. either uh, One that we are both looking forward to though is Ming of Harlem 21 stories in no, the air man I can't wait for this that This looks bonkers this is the the guy in New York City yep. who kept a tiger in his apartment on the 21st floor. Is it a tiger and an alligator? I think it's. No, I think he oh, mentions a an alligator. He yeah. just has a tiger. But the tiger just hangs out in his apartment. Because why, why wouldn't you? Uh, we also have the documentary, The Killings of Tony Blair. <laughs> the the S is a dollar sign, by the way, in Killings. Cool. So Looking we, forward to that. We have that. And would you like to introduce the, the big film of next week, guys? Star, Star Trek, Trek Beyond! <laughs> That's never going to get old now. I'm going to do that every week. That's it. When it's in the top ten notes, oh, I'll track me on every week. It's going to have to be done. Uh, yeah, so we've got all those to come and more next week off screen. This has been a Candy Store Proof for On Screen. Don't forget to download the podcast edition to uh, you know tune in after the credits for all the podcast extras. Reviews this week include Neon Demon, Precious Cargo, uh, what else have we got? Baskin and Men and Chicken. Uh, I've been Van Connor. This has been Off Screen. I've been, as always, Case Allen. And we'll be back next week.
0: Just show me the way to get out of here,
1: and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen for more news and reviews. Visit onscreenfilm.com okay, cut. That's a wrap. podcast extras, Mr. Allen. So, we've got loads of film news we get to include this week. Fair whack. a fair way. okay. Fair so, um, chunk. we've got to talk about good old Kiefer. Because we did speak yeah. to his brother last week in less than optimum circumstances. He was an interesting um, fellow, wasn't he? he? He 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 well he thought he was. Um, that's that's one. way one way of saying? I liked him. It. <laughs> uh, so, Kiefer Sutherland has joined the uh, the upcoming remake of uh, Flatliners. Yeah. Which weirdly you asked me about last week. I did. You... It's it's like the Sutherland's heard me. It's true. Yeah. You just you just you turned around out of the blue last week. Oh, aren't they remaking Flatliners? We haven't heard anything about that in a while. And then yeah. the next day was announced Kiefer Sutherland was joining it. I believe it's got a release date as well now. Isn't it twenty uh, eighteen? No, 2017. 2017? Yeah, summertime 2017. Okay, so we'll give you another piece then. Um, Speaking of shared universes. Because they're all the rage. Because they're all the rage. Have you heard about the latest addition to Universal's shared universe? Yes, I have, and I like it quite a bit. I thought you might. So Universal's classic Monsters universe is going to have Javier Bardem Mm -hmm. as Frankenstein's monster. Yes. Despite the fact that they've not lined up a Frankenstein movie, but they have lined up a Bride of Frankenstein movie. And it was rumoured to,
0: to be Angelina Jolie she was caught mm-hmm. out. I don't know whether she's signed on I can't see her signing on to be honest
1: yeah but I wouldn't have seen Russell Crowe Johnny Depp or, uh, or... is
0: Johnny Depp one official
1: is that do you know it's non-official I don't think but it's it's still heavily rumoured I wouldn't be surprised so... if
0: he drops out and if like we get like I don't know, whacking Phoenix or Cavon Wallace or someone. God, every
1: time with a Cavonjanay Wallace, <laughs> man. Every time. Alright, you know what? Let's do Neon Demon quick before we carry on with some news. Okay. So Neon Demon, which is the latest film from Nicholas Winding Raffin. It's is it Winding or Windy? I can't remember Winding. Is like it- like the fonts. Is uh, Windings. Nicholas Windings' reference. Yeah. <laughs> which, believe me, would make about as much sense as his latest film, uh, which follows Elle Fanning as a 16-year-old who has found her way to the big city mm. of the bright lights and starlights of uh, L.A. to try and make her name in the modelling world. Before you know it, she's been brought on as the new, fresh talent on the scene. Uh, all the other sort of dead-eyed models who are played by, like, Bella Heathcote, for example... Um, uh, all start to uh, to look enviously upon her because she's viewed as having this sort of natural innocence and, and sort of, uh, you know, unspoilt charm. And uh, on the one hand, she's a fish out of water, and on the other hand, she starts to acclimatise to it, and basically it, it's, it's that sense of, you know, fame and power corrupts mm. sort of an affair. Um, you, you have seen this film played out a thousand times, mm. however, you've never seen it played out quite like you have under Nicholas Winding Refn's rule. So here's a clip. Look at Jesse,
0: nothing fake, nothing false, a diamond in a sea of glass. True beauty is the highest currency we have, without it she would be nothing. I think you're wrong. Excuse me? I said I think you're wrong. So are you going to tell me that it's what's inside that counts? Yeah, that's exactly what I think. Well, I think... ...that if she wasn't beautiful... ...you wouldn't have even stopped to look.
1: Yes, so this really does uh, achieve... Well, <laughs> this achieves two things, really. Firstly, it proves that Drive was really lightning in a bottle that the ingredients that made Drive can't simply be reconstituted and can't be duplicated and can't be replaced. Um, it also proves that Nicholas Winding Refn very, very badly needs to stop working from his own screenplays. He quite simply cannot write a film. He, he really can't. This film is... The dialogue in this film borders on nonsensical gibberish. Um, his characters are non-existent. His insights and philosophy is, at best, ponderous, navel-gazing... B- and, frankly, the film is, is f***ing boring. We can swear in the podcast extras. We can swear on the podcast extras because we have the ability to bleep it, yes. Oh, f- yes. There you go. So, I mean, it is an incredibly, incredibly arduous and boring film. Really, really trying. It's a slog. It is a slog. and But worse than just being a slog is the fact that it's all this overproduced, pseudo-artistic, visually striking array of wonderful imagery. And that's a problem. So what you've got, effectively, is a man who has discovered a way to polish a turd. Um, and the problem is that Nicholas Winding reference shtick has always been to wear his influences on his sleeve... To wear his desire to be the new Michael Mann, to be the new David Cronenberg, to be the new Ridley Scott, on his sleeve, hmm. to and and now he's added David Lynch to that repertoire as well. Well, it kind of sounds like Dario Argento, kind of makes, again as well. Yeah. And this is the problem because now he's say he's added David Lynch to it, but yeah. in order to actually really go for the bone, he's decided to go deeper into the horror genre as well. So Dario Argento does come up, uh, Fulci films do come up again. We'll be talking about Fulci in a few minutes, um, and the problem is it's crap the problem is it's not any good the problem is the performances are all dead-eyed phoned in just holograms at best but you can make the argument that oh well you know he's really just doing a whole responsive thing to the fashion industry no 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 i'm sorry but you ever hear that thing that old story about freud the old story about Freud that he, he once equated, you know, anyone with a cigar was actually, you know, it was, it was a phallic thing. Yeah. But then famously, he himself was, was sat down for a photograph, sat down for a portrait with a cigar, and someone called him on it, and he said, no, no, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Right, basically being a hypocrite. That is exactly what this film That's is. Important. This film is the cigar. And the problem is, it is just a cigar. This piece of s*** is just a piece of s***. It just happens to be a very nice-looking <laughs> piece of shit. And I particularly love the fact that this comes courtesy of a distributor who genuinely dislikes me enough to exclude me from the press show, as if that somehow barricades him away from me, unleashing wrath upon it. And for the record, I don't know why the guy doesn't particularly like me. I suspect he was molested by an uncle at some point who just happened to look an awful lot like me. But you know, neither here nor there. You anyway, that
0: kind of like a creepy uncle vibe about you. I do, don't yeah, I? Yeah. Whatever.
1: Maybe, maybe that's it. I mean, the guy's met me for like three minutes in his, I presume, rather Sometimes dull solid life. Takes- but yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about Saw then, because that's uh, that's going to reboot apparently this yeah. year now as well. It is going to start filming
0: in the autumn, or yeah. the fall. If this is a,
1: do you know how this news came to light? No, I don't. Right, the one of the unions for uh for, for for behind the line film people in toronto listed the production legacy on its on its upcoming calendar yeah, the film Soul being legacy. called saw yeah. legacy so the idea is that that's going to be uh this september in the city of toronto it's going to it's going to film for i think four weeks so interesting that one yeah, yeah
0: we shall see what comes of it
1: big reunion news you're gonna like this one this is very much up your alley For making a an actual Ghostbusters three. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know one of them is actually now a ghost. So oh, Yeah, yeah. Um, incidentally, did you know he cameoed in the film as well?
0: Yeah, there's like, like a bust like yeah, a bust, yeah, statue of that him. was that was a
1: good Early nod. On. Yeah, but uh, I think we can both agree that the the, the the MVP of Ghostbusters was Charles Dance.
0: Let's be honest. Charles Dance talking about Reddit. Reddit is
1: that ever something you thought would happen? <laughs> no, never ever. Um, no, Scream Union. Uh, Robert Redford. And Jane Foster are going to... uh, Jane Foster? Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda. Wow. That's that's big news. Jane Foster's a character from Thor. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Technically in the Marvel Technically they are both in the Marvel universe. Yeah, uh, Jane Fonda and Robert Redford are going to reunite for the first time since 1979. That is big news. It is. Uh, And this is the best part. For Netflix. Of all people, because Jane that Fonda. She does uh, she has Grace, Grace and
0: Frankie, which is pretty good. I've seen. Most yeah, of you right
1: recommend now. this to me, and I've not had the pleasure yet. Why? Well, I, I
0: like her <clears> and uh, Lily Tomlin, uh, Martin Sheen, of course. Oh, he's it? in, isn't he? Yeah, he's, yeah he's, we
1: know of your unabashed love for Martin Sheen.
0: <laughs> Everyone has it on a vast West Wing whore. You tell me one person on earth who doesn't like Martin Sheen. I will fight them. Uh,
1: yes, they're going to reunite for uh, the Netflix uh, movie, which is going to be an adaptation of the Ke- uh, Kent Harroff novel, Our Souls at Night, okay. which is about um, two platonic friends, one male, one female, Jane Fonda or Redford, who reunite after many years. They're both now widowed. And they pursue a relationship. Ooh. Which, yeah, it's just an interesting one. The kids have all grown up and left home, you know. Partners yeah. are now deceased. Why not give it a try, sort of an idea. Why not? But uh, it yeah. is because you see the old photos of Redford and, and <clears throat> Jane Fonda. And you think, oh, what a what a, what a simpler time. <laughs> you know, the, the Brad Pitt of his day and the He is chick. Brad Pitt of his day. But, uh, yeah, yeah there was would, that moment in... Who, who would be the new Jane Fonda? Who would be the new Jane Fonda? Yeah, who do you say? I don't know. Who, Reese Witherspoon? Maybe. She's got an air of it. Maybe. She's got a bit of that that vibe, hasn't she? Do you know what? I've got a new one
0: to add to to my list. Go on. I don't know if you're going to agree, because I don't think Cassie agreed. Go on. Jesse Eisenberg. Yes. John Malkovich.
1: Eh... I don't I know in, it. to be fair, I to be fair, it. John Markovic did star in Transformers, so you can argue that he did <laughs> he has had his Lex Luthor moment. He has, yeah. Uh there is that. But okay, so let's talk about Baskin real quick then, because this is an yeah, interesting, this one. Really <clears throat>
0: interesting Yeah, this sounds really interesting. you
1: didn't get the chance to see this one, did you? I sadly
0: did not have a pleasure, I really wanted to see it. I was just too busy unfortunately.
1: Right, this is this is a bizarre one. Okay, so this is the this is the eighth Turkish film to be released in the US. The eighth ever, eighth, eighth ever, <laughs> eighth ever. Wow! Turkish film to be released in the US. Does
0: it just? Does it take them that long? To... No, I
1: don't know. I presume the shipping time is just really long. Yeah. Uh, so this is the uh, feature debut of Can Evrenol, who has uh, directed a short a couple of years ago called Baskin. This is now a feature length adaptation of this, and this is the story of I think it's a group of five police officers, uh, four older, one younger, who respond to a a call from a mysterious town. A town that they tend to stay away from because it's the subject of rumours and various horrific stories. They go to respond to this town, they have a car accident on the way, and they find themselves trapped in a warehouse which may or may not be the descent into hell itself, where they are then surreptitiously tortured for the bemusement of what seems to be a cult. And wow, this is really something to behold. This is like an old Fuji film. And it clearly is a love a love letter to those kind of films. It, I mean, it wears that love on its sleeve quite proudly. Mm. It has no bone, It makes no bones about it. It's got some absolutely glorious, just gore-wrenched visuals. Uh, cinematography, Alp, Alp Corfali, I believe his name is. And then you've got this synth score, like an old-school 80s synth score, 70s, 80s synth. Like, like a John by, Carpenter kind like of. Like a the, John Carpenter, yeah. but it's by J.F jf jf JF. well i did look into it they are a double act so oh so it could
0: be like john and fred
1: it could be john and fred for always. So yeah. john and fred have contributed the this, this synth score <laughs> a john fred joint <clears throat> a john fred joint exactly yeah. so they contribute this the synth score and it really really sets the tone along with the visuals it's a film that you go into, and at fir- for the first half hour, you don't quite know what it is you're watching or where it's going. But once it does start to to, to dig its heels in, once it start, once you realise and get acclimatized to the fact that the film itself is f with you, that it's deliberately throwing you curveballs here, there, and everywhere, that it's trying to divert your attention, then you, re- you realise where you are, and you think, okay, do you know what? I can go along with this now. And there are. Uh, deliberate callbacks and there are time jumps and time loops and reality bends in on itself and characters jump back into their own narrative and it's a very strange and odd surreal horror film but by the end of it not only have you actually kind of enjoyed it you've also discovered this really interesting new addition to the ho- the pantheon of horror villains because it's a character called Baba. Hmm. Who I, I, you could just see having one of those. You know, Was it uh, Movie Maniacs used to the action figures with the yes. horror villains? Yeah, it was. I've got a Candyman one in my office somewhere. Um, you could just see him getting one of those action figures. That sort of a creation. Hmm. And uh, did they stop doing those figures before Saw? Is there a it's jigsaw? Actually, yeah, oh, I'd be great if
0: it was. I'd you be a good addition.
1: Yeah, it'd be a good addition, wouldn't it? Um, but, oh. Under the Ice Age uh, Things Ripped Off In Ice Age Referenced The Brundle Fly That was one Oh really The Brundle Fly Gets referenced In Ice Age Uh, But no Really Really interesting film Uh, Really Stellar sort of Feature debut For uh, Ken uh, Everall And I'm really interested To see what he comes up With next after this Because this He's coming out with something yeah. very unique here, despite its 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 being an homage. By way, Ghostbusters could learn from this. You can do an homage and still create something original. So yeah. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of <laughs> creating something original, I don't know if you heard this story. This, this emerged on Friday. Vivian Kubrick. <clears throat> you know the story? I don't think I do. Vivian Kubrick, daughter of the late, great Stanley. Maybe I do, actually. Just... Right. She has now taken to Twitter yeah. after all these years to finally address <laughs> the, the long-held conspiracy theory that Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing. <laughs> right. First of all, does anyone genuinely believe that Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing? Um, yeah.
0: Some people in that, that terrible, terrible documentary. Oh, room room 237.
1: 237. Did you watch it? I did watch it, oh, It was yeah. so bad. I had really high hopes for it. It wasn't so We actually had to pay money to see it, and I, I paid money for it. Was te- did you got the showroom as well?
0: No, I saw it in an art house cinema in Bristol, but it's essentially the Bristol showroom.
1: Oh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> then. It was just dreadful, and uh, my other half's a huge Shining fan, yeah. and she absolutely hated every second of it. Yeah, um, my
0: other half is the same.
1: Although, yeah, yeah. really worth it for that brilliantly bizarre theory that <coughs> uh, that uh, Jack Nicholson's meant has has the Hitler tash superimposed on him briefly. Uh, yeah, which is just bogged. Oh, was
0: that in the bit where if you play it backwards and forwards simultaneously?
1: No, that's the trees at the beginning. This is the, the trees, uh, this yeah. is the framed picture that zooms in. It's the transition oh, yeah, at the end yeah, when it course, zooms yeah. in on his face. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Vivian Kubrick has now finally taken <laughs> taken uh, to uh, addressing this theory that her dad faked the moon landings What she's done is written a full detailed statement taken a picture of it and stuck it on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, in which she basically puts out that she's actually quite offended by the theory that if there's one person in the world who would never have been involved in something like that it is Stanley Kubrick And to be fair, Stanley Kubrick was so anti-establishment that it kind of makes sense I mean, look at something like uh, Doctor Strangelove There is no way in hell the man who directed Dr. Strangelove would collaborate with the US government. Hell no. It simply wouldn't happen. He was too much of a radical. Yeah. I mean, not to mention... An absolute maniac. So should we do another review real quick? Do another review. I'll probably drag something off the internet. Okay, well, I've, I've got a few left anyway. Uh, let's talk about Precious Cargo, uh, which uh, I can tell you've been waiting for this one, Case. This is the Mark Paul Gosselaar action movie, co-starring Claire Forlani and Bruce Willis. The, the dream yes. team, as it were. <laughs> right, so this is, the, this is the story of Jack... Played by Mark Paul Gosselaar, MPG, a.k.a. Zach Morris, a.k.a. either Franklin or Bash. I can't remember. Anyway, I can't remember and I don't care. I can't remember. So he was a child actor in Saved by the Bell. He then became a bro actor in, in Franklin and or Bash. And <laughs> that would be a better title for that for that series, right? Franklin and, and or Bash. Bash. Although the season, <laughs> the season that starred Heather Locklear was great. And, and Malcolm at' Adal- see it, did you not see it? No. You, you missed a treat there anyway <laughs> you'd still love Heather Lockley, put it that way right um so Jack is a sort of low level criminal poses an arms deal to stop bad guys and basically lift cash from them. And he is contacted one day by his now-pregnant ex-girlfriend, played by Claire Forlani, who it turns out has had a job go bad and has found herself in debt to a criminal named Eddie, played by Bruce Willis, who, given that he appears in three scenes of this movie, I'm going to estimate his salary was $3 million. Because we know how Bruce Willis sense. works, yeah, it's million per scene, a million, a million a day, isn't it? So I'm guessing Milly a day, mil million a day, a million a day, a million day. Yeah. So I'm guessing if you did three scenes, he will stretch them out probably a couple hours, an hour's filming per scene. Hmm. Let's call it three mil. So this is a three mil paycheck for, for, for good old BW or Bruno or Bruno. If he's making Bruno. music. Yeah. yeah, Bruno's got three mil for this in the bag, and um, so. <laughs> She's on the hook to Eddie for a large sum of money. She turns to her ex, also her baby daddy, to say, I need your help, help me knock over an armoured truck full of jewels. However, with this particular pregnant lady, nothing is ever as it seems, and she may not be telling the complete truth. Here's a clip.
0: Hey, Jack, it's still a little matter of me killing you. We had a deal. I don't make deals with people that steal from me. It's just not good for business. My snipers. Snipers can't hear anything. Jenna all signals transmitting out of here. And I hope you don't think for one second I'm gonna step off from one this thing. Nope. Get him out of here. Go! Go! Let's go! Come on! Head up for the roof.
1: Man, MPG, he is leaning quite heavily on the old Franklin Abash sort of slacker charm he that he's, he's mustered over the last few seasons. <clears> that sort of, I was a child actor, but now I have a beard sort of an appeal. <laughs> so now take me seriously. <laughs> Please take me seriously. I've been in Equus, but uh, yeah, I know that's not MPG, but still for other child star. Um, and do you know the best part? He is actually quite affable enough. He's a likeable enough uh, film lead. Mm. I mean, he's still quite wooden, still quite vanilla. I mean, I, I'm I'm reliably told uh, in my house that he is the sexiest man who has ever walked the earth. I don't personally see it because if we're honest, he's no Tom Hardy. But uh, you would go with Tom Hardy. I would say uh, Joe Manganiello. Do that. you think Joe Manganiello is the sexiest man that ever walked the earth? Definitely. Eh. I I I feel like Joe Manganiello would make a good Superman to Tom Hardy's Batman. I I, I I feel on that. No, that's one. interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I could see that happening. I'll see that happening, yeah. But uh yeah. Anyway, so uh <laughs> what you've got then is a likable enough lead. He's even faintly cool if we're honest, likeable enough lead for what is ultimately this sort of shambolic, fast and furious rip off. Because that becomes the that becomes the general shtick. Let's get a team of criminals together and we'll rob someone for 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 the for the greater good. You're like, oh man, and Bruce Bliss is your, your added value element for his, you know, three million paycheck. And yeah, I mean, you've got an awful, awful cast. I mean, Claire Forlani is miscast to a degree that you, you honestly think, is she someone's cousin? Is that how this is working? <laughs> is is she just on the set? One is day. the director a distant relative? Because. There's no other explanation I can find for this. Uh, Daniel Bernhardt plays a character it looks and sounds like he's trying to be Scott Adkins. You know in that, hen- that head that head, henchman role that Scott Adkins always has? He always he's has, He's not yeah. the villain, he's the head henchman. Like the head of villain security. In Expendables 2. He um, was in that, wasn't he? Presumably
0: he, in Doctor Strange will have yeah, that He's kind always of role. that yeah. role,
1: isn't he? I presume that Scott Adkins was off doing another WWE movie this week. And didn't have the time to fit this one in. But it turns out you can actually do a worse job than Scott Adkins. Um, You've then got Jenna B. Kelly, who is Gosselar's sort of, uh, you know, platonic girlfriend sidekick, who has absolutely all the acting well, less acting range than the Every Sex Factor contestant. Because I would, I would venture a guess that Blair Williams could outact this chick if she wanted to. Sorry, uh, Blair Bananas, that's her name now, isn't it? Um, you have a weird obsession with that. That show, I'm a, sure, man. I'm a big fan of the Sex Factor. If no if no one's seen this by the way, it is a reality T V series um in which they are searching for the world's next big porn star. Um, it is available free to stream through xhamster.com, but uh, you have to be over eighteen to view it. Just just a forewarning: it is it is quite graphic. Also, Blair to win, yo, Blair to win. Anyway, uh, then you've got Bruce Willis, who's so absolutely uninvolved in this in in this film. If actually, do you know what? it might not be three, it might be five. He's so uninvolved that he genuinely made. Do you remember how absent, how just dead-eyed and mentally absent he was in A Good Day to Die Hard. <laughs> yeah i mean i'm
0: right now i'm looking at bruce willis's uh his imdb page just for like the last five or six years just it's terrible at... isn't it so this this year uh marauders has marauders come out yet or is that uh, um... i
1: don't think it's officially been released in the uk yet no but like
0: a vod so yeah. uh, marauders this rock the um extraction vice sin city a uh, dame to kill for the prince good day to die hard joe vitality yeah
1: yeah, there's been some pretty pretty big stinkers in that part. Cold Light
0: of Day. And then Looper. Uh, Looper and uh, Moon Looper is the
1: last. Looper is the last good thing I think he did.
0: Uh, well, Moonrow's Kingdom was just after it in the same year. But um...
1: Yeah, but, you know, where's Anderson? Yeah.
0: But that's the thing. I feel like he's only... <laughs> Shut up, you. Shut your dirty mouth. Shut your whole mouth. Shut your mouth. I feel like he's only really worth paying attention to when he is chosen by auteurs. That's like, it. Uh, when he's not just here to collect the three million pages. Well, that's the thing. He's only interesting when he's,
1: interesting when he's interested. Yeah. He very much is one of those actors. Absolutely, and yeah. You, you seem sort to of think, isn't this what happened to Steven Seagal and is currently happening to Nicolas hmm.
0: Cage? If David Cronenberg is making a film and if he decides to randomly cast Bruce Willis and the way that you decided to randomly cast John Cusack, yeah. who is unfortunately going down a similar that's career it. trajectory. Cusack's doing it now, isn't although he, he has
1: sell yeah. out in two months' time. Oh, really? Cell is out in September. Ah. Is that is that for Sam Jackson? That's the Samuel L. Jackson Stephen King adaptation. Looks oh, pretty interesting. Actually. That does look quite interesting. And the last
0: time those two guys got together for Stephen King was fourteen oh eight, which, which I really good. like. I yeah. enjoyed that film.
1: But no, he's so bad in this that he actually manages to make a good day to die hard like Con Air in hindsight, and I'm not <laughs> exaggerating. Um, James Edward Baker and Tim Despic are the musicians on this film. And they have given it one of the cartooniest scores you've ever seen. So you have quite an unimaginative director, anyway, uh, named Max Adams. He's written and directed this, but then and he's kind of phoned it in. You know he's trying, but then there's this grand cartoony score. Which, do you remember that Family Guy episode when they show you what a porno would, would sound like? It was scored by John Williams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine <laughs> someone trying to fake that on an action movie. <laughs> right. And you've got this movie, the opening speedboat chase of this movie. Oh, it opens with a speedboat chase. <laughs> open with, that's the first big action a speedboat oh, chase.
0: That's a shame. I, every good film is see, it open with or close with a speedboat chase. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, Face yeah. Off proved that, didn't it? Exactly. But uh, <laughs> this is the problem. It would be, it would be better off if, if, Precious Cargo were actually just a bad movie. The problem is, it's it's just a dim-witted blunder. It's not even so bad; it's good. It can't even manage that. It's just, it's kind of a non-entity. It's so uninteresting, so uninvolving, so poorly crafted that you're just looking. Ugh. No, no, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's, it puts there are a dozen expressions Kate McKinnon comes out with in the Ghostbusters reboot that I would use to describe this movie. Most of them, most of them involve the Ugh, noise but uh, oh uh, speaking of uh, PT Barnum in Ghostbusters, by the way oh, we, yeah. we didn't talk about uh, Castig- The Greatest Show on Earth yeah this is coming together so who's so this is going to be the uh, the, uh, the first studio musical in two decades apparently the first original yeah. studio musical <clears throat> in two decades it's going to star Hugh Jackman and Zac Efron it's going to be based on uh, the life of PT Barnum it's called The Greatest Show on Earth it's going to be how PT Barnum founded the first circus and basically invented show business as a concept. I presume yeah. that Jackman's gonna play Barnum.
0: Uh you are correct, sir.
1: Good guess. Okay, so we've ne- we've got Michelle Williams has joined. Uh so Michelle Williams, mm-hmm. who has she done anything in recent years besides the Oz movie? She did the Oz one with Sam Raimi.
0: I'm pretty sure she's done things <clears throat> since then. Um, what was she here? Let me have a look. Uh sweet Francais. Oh yes, it, she did, it yeah. Looks like, it looks like she had a year off between uh, Oz Sweet Francais. She's got a film called Manchester by the Sea, and that was that was winning raves at um, what festival was that? Toronto, I think, and it got bought by Amazon, and
1: that uh, looks to be a
0: big like like eh, big Oscar one. player. But uh, yeah, she's in it.
1: And then who else has joined the film now? Uh, uh, Zach Efron.
0: I did uh, no Zach Efron. That was that was uh, the new one. Uh, Zendaya.
1: Zendaya, who apparently is some sort of musician. Some Disney Channel. Oh, is she a Disney Channel chick.
0: I think that's where she's come from. Is oh, okay, that like the Zac Efron yeah, school. That would of, explain why yeah.
1: I've never heard of her.
0: But she. Well, we know about her because she was cast in Spider Man. In, in Spider Man. I, I
1: didn't. I, I literally had never seen. I think it was <clears> Calvin told me. Oh, Zendaya is going to be in, in Spider Man. Like, she's what, she's a big thing. What is a Zendaya? <laughs> yeah. Is is it a cake? <clears> what is it? What's a, what's a Zendaya? Do I have to upgrade to a Zendaya? I, haven't, I have a, I have a six plus at the moment. Do do you, do you upgrade to it? Do you download I've... it? What what's a Zendaya? <laughs> So
0: she's in uh, Girl Meets World.
1: Uh, you see, I watched Girl Meets yeah. World and I don't uh, know her.
0: Casey Undercover, which I'm assuming is the show she's known for on, uh, mm, on Disney. Not a clue. I think she's just been in a few different. Okay. Oh, she was in a Taylor Swift video as well, so that's why. Well, she's in a squad. You've
1: made it when you're in a Tay Tay video, you know? That's, yeah. how, that's how
0: it works. God, I, I've i come to really hate Tay Tay. You're not, not Tay is, is, no. Tay? Is,
1: is it because she's being a bit low key at the moment?
0: Hey! <laughs> anyway, more film news.
1: <laughs> more film news. Yeah. <clears throat> should, we, should we talk about the Star Trek news? Because, I mean, I know it's been talked talk to death, really, over the last week, but we should mention it really briefly, I suppose. Do
0: you know what? Yes, we should. Because it's, okay. it's a topic that. Warrants discussion. Yeah,
1: it, it's, it's, it's kind of a very contemporary, very, you know, current sort of an idea. So this is the idea yeah. that early on in uh, Star Trek, Star, Star Trek Beyond, sorry, I almost said Star Trek Nemesis, I don't know why. Um, early on in Star Trek Beyond, apparently there is a, a shore leave type sequence in which they're reunited with friends and family. The crew are reunited with friends and family. And there is a four second long moment in which John Cho's uh, Ikaru Sulu mm. is revealed to have a husband and daughter thus making hikaru sulu the first outwardly gay character the first openly gay character in star trek history and this has taken 50 years yeah this is the franchise which had the the will the, the, the world's first interracial kiss on television not the world's yes. first but, but TV's, yeah, first tv's first interracial kiss <laughs> You know, the first was, ever i'm not i'm not saying that soundtrack. you know i'm not saying that shatner and shell nichols had their first kiss and that like there was in the real world there was you know uh you know white guys and black girls go hey hey we can do it now you know stuff like that <laughs> you know. sonia let's do this <laughs> you know. but uh um, no it's 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 a very strange thing it's taken that long in one. yeah sense.
0: but um it's provoked Universally, almost universally, positive reaction. Apart from the person who originated the role, yeah. Apart from, which, which is, is very weird. Who Himself it? is a gay man, yeah. And it, it, from from Simon Pegg's perspective, uh, perspective, yeah, it's quite disappointing, isn't it? Yeah, he said that it's disappointing, and they did it as sort of like a loving nod to, to George Sticai, to George yeah, uh, who is obviously for gay rights and stuff and um, had had to kind of downplay his own homosexuality whilst on For the show. For decades, didn't For he? For decades. And
1: Did didn't George Takei only come out in about 2009 or something like that? Yeah. Sure, it's, 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 it was it's very recent. It was something like that. So, no, it's not that he wasn't a practicing gay man. because <laughs> it's he, just he didn't... He he decided to do it
0: because it would hurt. He was quite discreet
1: about it, wasn't he? He
0: was very discreet about it, and and perhaps that's why.
1: Perhaps that's why he's taken the stance because he had to keep it secret so long. Maybe that's why he thinks that. Who knows? Oh, but uh, it's a shame. I I like I like that they've done that to that character because. This is the weird thing for me. It hasn't. It has changed. Not even the future history of that character because. The character only has a daughter, historically. We have never seen his wife. Yeah. He's never mentioned his wife by name. It's never mentioned. And you think, well, actually, there is no reason that, uh, that, what's that? Demora Sulu couldn't be that baby in... in... Yeah, there's no reason. No reason at all. Yeah. But, uh, funnily enough, there was supposed to be a gay character in Star Trek First Contact, and then it never oh, really? happened. Uh, yeah, Lieutenant Hawk, played by Neil McDonough in oh, Star Trek wow, First yeah. Contact was supposed to be the first gay character in Star Trek. It never made it into the film, although I believe there's was a... It, no- was it shot and then deleted or... It's in one of the scripts and thus made it into the novelisation where he has a boyfriend who has then okay. gone on to become a character in other Star Trek novels. Hmm. But both the producers of Star Trek First Contact and Neil McDonough himself have gone on to deny that this ever happened, begging the question, hang on a minute, where did the novelisation get that from then? Because the rumors, the rumors were around long in advance of the film, and yeah, perhaps they were just a bit skittish about having their first, you know, gay Star Trek character be killed off like half an hour after we meet him. Maybe that's it. yeah. Although you know, he was a red shirt, so we should have seen it coming. Yeah, traditionally, (laughs) they never have a long lifespan. (laughs) They don't (laughs) traditionally, ensign Ricky. Cool.
0: Uh, How long is the lifespan of a chicken? Traditionally,
1: (sighs) I don't know.
0: Bounce, did we, did
1: we tell you about it in the film Men and Chicken? Ooh. Segway. Oh, you <laughs> slick Segway bastard, you. <laughs> <Right. Total. laughs> was that one of my better segues? <laughs> you slick Segway fiend. Right, Men and Chicken, which is the latest film. Did you ever see The Salvation? Oh, yeah. You know, the Mads Mikkelsen Western. Wasn't that badass? I really
0: enjoyed that. It was, wasn't it? Cantona,
1: man. Cantona. Cantona, man. Cantona yeah. yeah. Okay, so the writer of that movie, Anders Thomas Jensen, has written and directed this one, which is obviously reunited him with Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, this is the story then of two brothers, Elias and Gabriel. Uh, Elias is played by Mads Mikkelsen. Gabriel is played by, uh, do you remember David Densick from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Who did he play? Very distinctive looking bald man with, with piercing eyes. I'll let you look I, a picture i to look, look him when, up. When you see a picture, he's, he's going to be, oh, that guy. Oh, is, is he a that guy? He's a, oh, that guy from that thing. He's one of those, like a really good character <laughs> actor though. But uh, they are a pair of brothers who are newly orphaned. The father has recently died. Have you just found a picture of them? I uh, not yet. No, okay.
0: it's just loading.
1: Okay, the father has just died, and um, in his, you're nodding as if to say, "Is it that it's guy that from guy. that thing?" Yeah. yeah. Uh, in in his in their father's will comes a videotape in which they are told that they are actually both adopted, that they don't have the same mother, but they do have the same father, and they adopted. Uh, they uh, set out to find their three long-lost brothers, all of whom live together on a remote island, and it turns out their birth father has recently died. What then follows is basically a case of the grass always being greener and the idea that families mm. always have their own secrets. In this case, secrets that might actually rock the two newcomers to their very core. I mean, just to put this in context, for instance, all, all five brothers have a very specific hair lip and that's not just a genetic coincidence. We don't have a clip because it's, it's, uh, it's in the Danish language. Um, but to describe this as a tonally very unique beast would be somewhat understated. What you basically have is if you can imagine the three Stooges mixed with freaks. Oh, wow. Imagine that. I am. Right. Imagine the, <laughs> <be> island, awesome. <laughs> the island of Dr. Moreau getting paid a visit by Laurel and Hardy. Right, I'm not exactly... It's exactly like that. It is so... It's got, like, this emphasis on body horror, this love of absolutely macabre imagery, and yet, at the same time, outright slapstick, just goofiness, and at the same time, a story that's really all about brotherly love and all about family and it's a very strange quirky little film there is genuinely nothing like it that you'll see this year um mads mickelson gets to step out of his comfort zone he's going for far broader wackier comedy than we've ever imagined him doing before uh David Densett gets i think really the heart and soul of the piece he gets to be the audience p o v but he also gets to gets to do this whole sort of the investigative role of it all and he's he's quite interesting i I find him a really fascinating actor he's basically just a Swedish character actor but he's really carved quite a niche for it. i mean do you remember him in the uh, he was in the original Girl with the dragon tattoo movie yes he was
0: also in the remake as well was he in the remake he as was well in the fincher Oh, I didn't
1: realise. I thought he was just in the uh, the Swedish versions. Mm, no, it doesn't oh, both. I can. Gets around. Like I said, it is like no other film you'll see this year. It is something that stands absolutely apart from the pack. It's a very unique, quirky, and just anomalous film, it's it's kind of like the characters themselves. They do they are just oddballs. They do stand apart, but mm-hmm. at the same time, despite the fact they're physically off-putting, there's something goofy and lovable about them at the same time. I mean, one of the one of the brothers actually weirdly reminds me of a young Stephen Baldwin, because he has exactly the same level of charisma. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that And the same haircut, weirdly, but that
0: aside... Right, I would have led with the haircut thing, because that's, that's not how you... <laughs> That's not how you recognise That's like in Bloody uh, Le Miz when <laughs> Javert recognises Valjean because he can lift something. I hate that. I hate that so much. Do he you hate it that. lifts it and he's like, oh, I've seen you lift something before. I know you.
1: You know how I knew he was innocent? He bought bagels. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, but once we've lived through Forrest Whitaker, clearing a man from murder because he bought bagels, bagels. I think that that ship has sailed. Uh, but no, um, Men and Chicken, really worth checking out. I, honestly, Casey, you'll, you'll absolutely love it. Mm. it is ju- it's just—it's an oddball movie.
0: Uh, the dude that wrote it wrote a film that uh, my soon-to-be wife really likes called uh, Love Is All You Need.
1: Love is All You Need. Which one's yeah. Love is All
0: You Need? Pierce Brosnan.
1: Oh, is that the one with... That's the... the one, yeah. Oh, is it? It's not French, is it? Love is All You Need is the... I, I reviewed it a couple of years ago. I Danish, I believe. Danish? Yeah. I can't remember it now. I, I remember him doing that film.
0: Suzanne Beer. Yes,
1: yeah. that's the one. It was good,
0: yeah. The, the hairdresser's got cancer and... Yes, that yeah. is the I do remember I it really now. I really enjoyed that, That was actually. quite a good yeah. film,
1: actually. Um, a couple more bits of film news, or at least one. Um, The creator of BoJack Horseman. Yeah. Do you know about this one? I do not. Right, so uh, Raphael Bob Waxberg is his it's name. It's the best name I've heard today. And he is the creator of BoJack Horseman, the popular Netflix animated series starring Will Arnett, I want to say. Will Arnett, um, Aaron Paul. Oh, right, Aaron yeah. Paul, I never knew. Uh, I can't watch it, you see, because uh, Lola, my dog. Uh, oh, no. Seriously, yeah. she doesn't like horses. And even animated horses set her off. She starts barking at the TV. So it's, it's like when you try to watch Jurassic World. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't we try to watch one of the 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 crappy director DVD dinosaur movies once? Yes, she went nuts. We did. Yeah, something like Tyrannosaur Attack or something. Something like that. Yeah. Oh no, it was Raptor Rampage. Raptor Rampage. Raptor Rampage. Raptor Rampage. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Bojack Horseman creator Raphael Bob Waksberg has been brought on board to rewrite the Lego Movie sequel. Oh really? Yeah, oh. because Phil Lord and Chris Miller have that uh, that little passion project to go and do over at Disney. What's the called? One. Hung, Hung Sad something. Hung, hung Sad. Man, Yo-Yo, <laughs> Han Solo, Solo. Han yeah. Solo, Solo. It's
0: about completely original projects.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, another one. I wanted to ask you about this one because I don't remember this documentary. The winner of the Academy Award for Best Documentary in 2011. Do you remember what it was?
0: No, off the top, was right. it Search for Sugarman, or was that a year after?
1: I think that might been the year after. I remember searching for Sugarman more recently than that. Okay, uh, I'm thinking of a film called Undefeated.
0: It rings, a bell. it rings a
1: bell. I believe it won the Academy Award for Best Documentary in 2011. It was a documentary about an American high school football team who historically was on such a bad losing streak that the school actually started selling spots to play against them because yeah, it was a guaranteed that. win. Yeah. And then obviously a new coach came along and, you know, rode them to victory, you know. Well, apparently it's now in the works as an actual narrative feature. They're actually going to adapt it as a based on a true story feature. The producers of the documentary are going to produce this drama as well. And yeah, they're actually searching for a writer and director. How
0: How is this not being made and how is Carl Chandler not being attached to it already? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Do you know who needs to do one of these uh, true story sports dramas? Who? Woody Harrelson. Could you oh, not see him as like good. a high school football coach? I really can. Yeah. You get out there and you... Yeah, that I'll tell you what you do. You
0: get Woody Helson. You get Rob Reiner to make it. Oh, yeah. That's what you do. No, that's what you do. That's what you do. I,
1: I feel like this is the kind of thing that Tony Scott used to do in between. every, every After every two or three action movies, Tony Scott would step We'd aside do, and like that, yeah. do one of those. And then he'd go back and do his two or three action movies again. Yeah. Or maybe like... I miss those days. I, I miss Tony Scott. I least. miss Tony Scott. I do. Yeah. But uh, I can't help but think in hindsight, Tony Scott was the more entertaining Scott brother.
0: Do you reckon this is like a John Belushi, Jim Belushi kind of thing? We're left with the...
1: (laughs) We're left with the less decent one. (laughs) No disrespect to Ridley Scott. um... Sorry, Rid, but... No one needs Alien Covenant. Everyone wants Man on Fire 2. All I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's what Denzel wants. We just want John Boyega in Man on Fire 2. That's... That's really
0: it. No, i tell you what you do. i tell you what you do. Go on. You get Anton Fuqua to make oh. Man on Fire 2.
1: That's what you oh, do. man, that would be good. Yeah. Yeah. And Man on Fire 2 should be a Fuqua film. It should be a Fuqua film. But but starring either Idris Elba or John Boyega. Maybe both. I think Idris Elba could do a good prequel version of, uh, of, Deniz- of Denzel's character. It could be Denzel's character. John Boyega could be the son. The son he never knew he had.
0: I bet you that's going to be... Pacific Room
1: 2. Oh, yeah, totally. That's, that's yeah. totally going to be Pacific Room 2. But uh, unless, you know, his, his son was just a child during the first movie. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah.
0: We don't know. We will
1: find out in a couple of years, though.
0: So yeah. Oh,
1: let's talk one, one final bit, then. Let's talk about uh, the original casting for The Legend of Tarzan, because I love this. It's my favourite story. Uh, we talked last week when we were talking about Tarzan, we talked about Johnny Weismuller having been an Olympian. Well, it turns out that Jerry Weintraub, before he died, wanted to repeat that formula. He wanted to find an Olympian and make him into a movie star as Tarzan. Who was that Olympian? And he wanted Michael Phelps. He was really gung-ho about it as well. And apparently he was really going for it. And then one day, Michael Phelps accidentally threw a spanner in the works because he went and hosted Saturday Night Live and Jerry Weintraub accidentally discovered that Michael Phelps is absolutely talentless in front of a camera. Yeah. And apparently flipped his lid. Can
0: swim like a fish,
1: but... (laughs) Swim like a fish, but apparently he performed in front of cameras like a fish as well. Yeah. So so we go from uh, performing like a fish to speaking like a fish. Here it is, your moment of Cage. I don't dig looking at your ugly face. Now your partner is a cool dude cool enough to get the baby to burp
0: up 1500 i didn't be in jack He's you. Well, what are you talking about you cleared your debt. he told me all i had to do
1: was walk outside with him shake his hand and i was even are you telling me that was his money